I was raised to believe that the Bible is a book of morals, that it defines good versus evil for us within its pages. In the Garden of Eden, however, there were two trees. The tree that brought death was the tree that contained the question of morals, good versus evil. The other tree was a tree that brought life to all the aid of its fruit, the tree of life. Is it possible that we've been asking the wrong questions, chasing the wrong thing by seeking to be moral? Let's run an experiment. Rather than seeking to define and live by good versus evil, let's flip the question. Let's define life instead. But to do that, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where, frankly, sometimes we got to take a break because life can get extremely overwhelming at times. And so this week, I'm going to do just that. Uh, after the last episode regarding the Shabbat and with all that's currently going on in the world and in my life uh, specifically, I need a break. And so, well, here we are. Uh, this episode, uh, in some ways, is going to be just a catch-up of what's going on here at Deresh Chai. The setbacks that we faced, and more importantly, the successes that we are seeing. We're going to go through that first, and then there's a, there's something that I really want to address that doesn't fall into the Parsha cycle, that it can get a bit complicated. So I'm going to do my best to kind of address this particular topic from the perspective of Deresh Chai, seeking life. So let's go ahead and get to it. So the doors, or the proverbial doors of Deresh Chai, opened over a year ago. I began with that very first episode of this podcast. At the time, we had a lot of ideas of things that we wanted to try, and since then, we've tried most of them. Some of them haven't panned out, and some have been put on the back burner, and some of those we are going and engaging in full force. So let's kind of go through those items that I introduced way back when. First of all, the podcast. This, uh, this podcast right here, the Deresh Chai Experiment. If you're listening to this podcast, that means that the podcast has been a success. At least to you, it's been a success. And frankly, that's all that matters to you, right? For a long time in this adventure of this podcast, we had only a handful of weekly listeners. But recently, that number has been growing. In just this last week, from the time that I put out the podcast last Thursday till today, I'm recording on a Tuesday, we have had over 50 unique visitors, 50 unique downloads, which for a podcast of the size where I haven't really done a whole lot of marketing. I've done a couple of interviews regarding Deresh Chai and uh, Grafted Together and a couple other things that I've been going through or been working on. But to have 50 listeners just in these first few, what, five days of out of seven of the week, that's pretty significant for me. So... As far as I can tell, the podcast is a success. It is becoming something that people enjoy. We have three reviews on iTunes. Woohoo! All of them five stars. Well, one review, three uh, three ratings. All of them five stars on iTunes. Not a lot, but like I said, for the longest time, it's only been just a few people listening here and there. It's been uh, it's been kind of a slog at times to continue to put out these episodes and then to see that maybe ten people listen to them. Well. That's improving, and that is uh, that's encouraging to me to see that it is it is growing. It is becoming something that people are engaging with, that it, that they're enjoying it, and that 
some people are starting to come back and trying to starting to build a audience. Another thing that we or that I introduced as a something that Derish Chai was doing, it's something we've done for the last seven years, and that is called SWAP. SWAP, S-W-A-P, stands for Share With A Purpose. SWAP is a clothing drive that my wife and I have put on for seven years where we gather clothes from the community, from donations from churches and so on and so forth. We sort them all out. We put them out for the public to just come in and pick up whatever they need. We've been able to, to bless several thousand people with new clothes through this endeavor over the years. And it is with great sadness that we won't be able to do it this year. Coronavirus has uh, put a, a damper on that. Our, our The school gymnasium where we were planning to meet is implementing policies that make it nearly impossible for us to continue to hold the event there, as well as the churches that we have been gathering donations from. Let's just say it's not going to be possible. Coronavirus has created a logistical nightmare because we would have to wash all of the clothes before we put them out, which, man, that that costs a whole lot more, more money than we're willing to pour into swap because, frankly, we don't make any money off of swap. It's something that we do for free. It's something that is a gift back to the community. And the uh, the amount of money that we have put into it in the past has been out of pocket. And so to, to have that kind of expense on us to, to continue to do that is something that we just can't continue to do. And so unfortunately, SWAP, at least for this year, uh, is being put on hold. Uh, another thing that we mentioned a while back, we even put out a few episodes of it, is the, the Testimonies podcast. For those of you who don't know, Testimonies was a, a trial run that we did where we imagined what it would be like to sit down with characters from the Bible and to have them at the very end of their life tell us the story of their life from their point of view. Fill in some of the gaps that scripture doesn't have, provide some motivations. It's all just a thought experiment, just trying to to dig into these characters and to understand and know these people, these great patriarchs, these people of, of renown that we read of in scripture. We did three episodes. We did Adam, Noah, and Sarah. And we have scripts for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and plans for Joseph, Judah, and Tamar for season one. So we put out those three episodes, and you can actually go and listen to those. They're they're not well done. It was myself voicing two of the characters in various attempts at, at voices. I'm not wonderful at, at doing voices. And one of them was my wife doing voice of Sarah. We'd hope that if this particular podcast had gained traction, that we might uh, hire some people to to voice these, that we might be able to find some people willing to, to volunteer to voice these. We weren't sure how that would work out. If you want to go listen to them, you can go back through the previous podcast episodes, and all three of them are listed between episode 33 and 34 of this podcast. So if you go back there, you will see Testimonies episode 1, 2, and 3. And you can listen to them if you like. As of right now, though, we've kind of decided to put this particular project on the back burner. The only reason we've done that is because we've received like next to no feedback at all, either positive or negative, regarding this project, except for the people who we're directly connected to, who all seem to think it's a good idea. But uh, once we release it to the public, we really haven't seen anything from it. 
Another option to listen to it is to go to the Deresh Chai website, which is http seeklifesc.com. That's seeklifesc for South Carolina, because that's where I'm located, .com. And go to the podcast link, and you'll see this podcast, Deresh Chai Experiment, on the left, and on the right, you'll see those three episodes of Testimonies. If this, if you want to go back and listen to those and it's something that piques your interest that you'd like to see us do some more of, give us feedback. Fill out a contact form on our website. Let us know that this is something that you really enjoy. And we'd be willing to pick up the project again if it, if it comes to that. But as for now, with the amount of work that is required to create just a single episode of it and the lack of interest that's being shown by the potential audience, we're not really interested in making that exchange of, of that much time for that little return. I also mentioned a few books in the past that I had hoped to write. My wife is still kind of working on her recipe book. I am still kind of tossing around notes in my mind. I have some beginnings of some outlines and so on and so forth for a couple of different books, one being a testimony, one being about how to celebrate the festival of Hanukkah, is it a commanded feast? Is it not? Just to explore all of those different ideas. One, to kind of explore the shadow pictures we get of the Messiah throughout the five books of Moses. I mean, Yeshua says that Moses wrote of me. What does that mean? How does that play out? Where do we see this in the Torah? So I have those three books that I've been intending to write, but with the just amount of time that I've had, I've not been able to pursue those books. Now, what is it that's taken all my time, you might ask, if I don't have the time to pour into these other projects that I do have plans for? Well, that is the Patterns of Life Bible. The Patterns of Life Bible is quickly becoming a success. Of the many projects that we've done at the beginning, the, the podcast and the Patterns of Life Bible seem to be the ones that are really actually gaining some traction that people are interested in seeing. We're really excited about the reach and the impact that this project is having so far. And that's with a very limited scope. We've only released 10 books so far. We launched the Torah portions of the project at the beginning of April around Passover. Uh, Passover... We celebrated Passover on April 8th. I don't know when any of you did. Some celebrated a month earlier. Some celebrated the day after. It's, you know, calendar issues or touchy issues. I'm not even going to address those. I celebrated on April 8th. And the following, the day after the first day of Matzo, we launched the Patterns Bible. 51 days approximately later, at the Festival of Pentecost, or Shavuot, which happened to be May 31st is when we celebrated, we released the Gospels and Acts to the project for a total of 10 books that have been out now. So that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. They're all available for public viewing on the Patterns of Life Bible website. Now, what's truly exciting about this project is that the Patterns of Life Bible website, and just the less than, see, I'm recording this on July 7th. So approximately three months that it's been out the website has been viewed in 34 different countries now we haven't done a whole lot of advertising just me trying to talk to people my wife trying to talk to people a couple of the people who are connected to the project talking to people about the project and it's gaining some momentum and frankly it's been a whole lot of grace from god that has 
allowed this project to become what it is turning into. But we've had views, like I said, from 34 different countries, including the United States, Philippines, Australia, the Netherlands, Canada, Germany, Japan, South Africa, the UK, Romania, Russia, Ukraine, Brazil, Switzerland, New Zealand, Zambia, Finland, Mexico, Poland, Singapore, Samoa, Chile, Hong Kong, Ireland, Israel, Italy, South Korea, Moldova, Pakistan, the Solomon Islands, Sweden, Thailand, and Vietnam. That's uh, that's pretty incredible for myself. I've only ever been traveled out of the United States twice in my life. And to see that something that I am working on go this far into the world, it's humbling for me. And frankly, it's it's pretty exciting. Now, what's even more exciting about this project from my perspective is that the average session on the site for the entire lifetime of the site is 3 minutes and 14 seconds. So when people come to the site, they're staying as a general rule. In the realm of web traffic, that is a huge number, 3 minutes and 14 seconds on average per visit. That's enormous. We've spent a lot of time creating the explainer videos and tutorials on how to use the site, as well as putting in a lot of time and energy that we've been pouring into the site for over four years now. And it's extremely exciting for us to see this project begin to catch people's attention, begin to grow and become something, something bigger. Also, just last month, uh, I was able to participate in my first interview for the Patterns of Life Bible specifically with Joseph Dumond of SightedMoon.com. We received a lot of positive feedback from that interview, and a good portion of that traffic that we're experiencing is directly connected to that interview. So I would like to give a huge thank you to Joseph Dumont for allowing me to share that with him. You can go to our YouTube page and watch that interview if you like. You can go to SightedMoon.com's YouTube page and watch it there if you like. I'm also probably, for next week, going to just strip the audio from that and post it as the weekly podcast. Because frankly... I need a break, but we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. So you can see the, the interview. We get into a lot of stuff that's part of the, the project. We get into definitions, explaining how it all works. But then we get into, into some stuff that's not necessarily covered by the scope of the project, at least not at this point. Things that we hope to get into at some point in the future, but not really. We've just got so much to do at the as it is right now that we can't get to it just yet. So moving forward on this project, we are now working on the prophets. And that's the prophets according to the Hebrew reckoning. So that means Joshua, Judges, the books of Samuel, the books of the Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All of those books we're hoping to release with the next release. And we have... Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Jeremiah, and all of the minor prophets entered to the site as of today. Now, entering them into the site is only the first step. Once they're entered, we have to go back through and do some editing. And that's where a lot of the time in this project is actually taken up, is by going back through and reanalyzing and making sure that we actually have everything as best as we can get it at this time. That takes a lot of time to do. So we're hoping to, here in the next week, to release three to four books that we have got 
really, really well situated. Those books being Joshua, Jeremiah, Jonah, and Daniel, because we've had some requests from people for us to do Daniel. So we're going we're gonna to release those four, not for the public just yet, but for donors, for anybody who is financially partnering with us to help get this project out. So, and then as we finish other books, those donors will also be get those new books as they are finished. Once they are all finished, then they will be released en masse for the masses, for the general public. And we'll begin working on the gospel portions after that. As of right now, we're kind of shooting for fall. At some point, if we get enough donations, we can probably have it done by Feast of Trumpets Sukkot, somewhere in there. If we don't, then it'll be later in the fall, winter of 2020 before we can get that out there. So we're still working on this. There's still a lot of work to be done on this. The The speed with which we're able to get it out is, is really going to be dependent upon how much we get in financial support from the people who are reading, who are using it to study. So if you would like to partner with us and get early access to the profits, we would greatly appreciate that. If you're not able to financially partner with us, we ask that you partner with us in prayer, that you pray about this project and that you pray that God makes it a way for it to come out in his timing. So that's kind of where we are with Deresh Chai. Now, as you can tell, there's a lot going on here at Deresh Chai. We frankly have our hands full for the foreseeable future with just the podcast and the Patterns Bible. We are pouring uh, anywhere from 8 to 12 hour days into the Patterns Bible just to get it out there for you right now. And that kind of brings me to what else I would like to talk about. Back in March, we, as a world, experienced an issue that we'd seen in movies that we never really thought would reach us, would, would really affect our lives. And it has. Now, there's a lot of argument and debate over there whether the response to COVID was overhanded, whether there, there was, the response matched the threat. For some, the threat was enormous. The, the initial numbers, 5% mortality rates, you know, it has a what was it, 3.8% replication rate, which means that for every person who has it, uh, it'll spread to 3.8 people from that person. I mean, those numbers are, are staggering. And a population of 8 billion people in the world, a 5% mortality rate is an enormous number. I don't know if you figured it out, but if you have a calculator figure it out, it would stagger you just how many deaths that would mean. Fortunately, it's not that bad. At the beginning, there was this sense of just wait and see, wait and see. So we entered into lockdown, and frankly, that gave us time to work on the Patterns Bible that we didn't think we were going to have. But it's also meant loss of jobs. It's also meant financial upheaval. It's also meant a, a lot of other things. Then back in May, a, a man was killed by police officers. We all have heard the story of George Floyd. The response to that killing was, again, heavy-handed in many instances. Not everywhere. I do want to make sure that we draw a line between recognizing peaceful protesters and violent rioters. They're not the same, even if they were both represented in what happened back in May. Both were represented. 
the rioters saw used the peaceful protests as an opportunity to get out there and to riot and destroy as they tend to do, as they did back in 92 with Rodney King. It's just a, a way of people who aren't heard, who feel that they're not being heard, uh, expressing their anger and their angst. But I think there's something more to it than that. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole issue of race. I don't think it's racism that we're dealing with right now. I think it's more culturalism that we're dealing with right now. It has very little to do with the color of a person's skin, as it has to do so much with the ideology and the culture that the person comes from. I am a white man. I come from a culture of conservative values, religious upbringing, and throughout my life there have been people of color with skin darker than mine who have been friends of mine, who have come through my life, who we've been able to get along and form close relationships. But our cultures are similar. Then there's the inner city culture, and there's a whole lot of innocent people caught up in that culture. And that culture is at war with the, I guess you'd call it the white suburbia, the white rural culture, because I grew up in a rural area. The inner city culture is clashing with the rural culture. And so what's happening isn't so much race wars as it is culture wars. And frankly, that's bound to happen. Cultures fight against cultures all throughout history. People who think that my culture is better than yours or your culture has has uh, subverted or oppressed mine, and wars break out. That happens. The issue is, how do we seek life in the midst of everything that's been going on so far? Now, when I had first started thinking through this interlude, I had actually written up some notes. And when I sat down to record them, I, I said a prayer as I do before I began recording, and the, the notes just didn't fit with what I wanted to say. And you could probably tell I'm going more off the cuff than I, than I normally do right now. Because uh, there's something going on here that I think needs to be addressed, and that is, how do we find the path of life in the midst of all of this upheaval? Because guess what? It's not going to stop here. This is not the end of the upheaval that we're facing as a nation, as a world. It's going to get worse. I hesitate to say this because of the, the number of people who have said things of this nature in the past. I'm not claiming to be a prophet. I'm not claiming to know the future. I'm not claiming to know anything more than what I have seen others say. But I am seeing people who I trust. I'm seeing various realms of information, I should say, that I have, I am connected to or that God is drawing me to right now that are all saying the same thing. It's going to get worse. This fall, the late this summer, if things are going to fall apart, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm just uh, examining what has occurred, examining the dance steps, as uh, someone I used to listen to would say. 
when you when you know a dance, if you can see the steps of the past, then you can predict the steps into the future. It's the same for life. If you can figure out what the dance steps were in the past, you can then anticipate what the steps are going to be in the future in this dance. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of trial. There's a lot of temptation that's coming our way. Now, I open this with everything that Dereshchai is doing and all of our plans for what we're going to do. Plans change. That's just our plans for now. I don't know what tomorrow brings. But if it looks anything like some of the warnings that I'm hearing, warnings coming from the prophetic realms, warnings coming from the realms of patterns analysis, uh, looking to the patterns in scripture and projecting them into the future, warnings coming from insider sources that wish to remain hidden. There are warnings coming from all sorts of spheres, and they're all saying the same thing. And I guess what kind of precipitated me going this direction with this teaching was about two weeks ago, there was a pastor out of Kentucky that posted a dream that he had to his Facebook page. Now, this, this pastor, by a man by the name of Dana, uh, I'm not really going to go any further than that, but he had a dream in which he predicted that the U.S. mints would stop minting coins, among many other things in the dreams. This was two weeks ago. That the U.S. mints would, be, would stop minting coins, and then they would move to $1 bills and $5 bills as hyperinflation hit the nation. Now, I did what I do with every kind of prophetic thing. I said, okay, maybe. Whatever. It, it, until I see it, until I get something to test it against. I won't know. Well, yesterday, my wife was shopping. She went out to Aldi, the local Aldi here in town. And when she got there, she sent me a picture that was on the door of the Aldi. The flyer that was on the door of the Aldi said this. Notice. Cash payments restricted. Due to the Federal Reserve coin shortage, we can only accept exact cash payments at this time. All other forms of payments, credit, debit, EBT, and contactless, are unaffected and can be accepted as normal. We apologize for any inconvenience. A coin shortage at the Federal Reserve. Why is that? Well, that's something that you can research for yourself. But it really got my mind going back to the dreams that he had. And my own experience with dreams. Dreams that have prepared me for things that were coming the next day. If it's just that, if it's just hyperinflation that we're facing, something that I've kind of suspected we would face since like 2012, Anybody who remembers 2012, the presidential race at the time, Ron Paul was a huge part of that. I was a huge Ron Paul supporter at the time. Uh, I was part of the Relavution Revolution. With <laughs> the word love in it, I'll flip around. Anyway, um, I was a huge Ron Paul supporter, and one of his things was economics and the, the idea that if you keep printing money, 
you're going to end up with hyperinflation. He connected me to a lot of philosophical thinkers in the area of economics, one of those whom I really latched onto was a French philosopher by the name of Frederick Bastiat. And Frederick Bastiat has several books, several small pamphlets almost, that he wrote during the French Revolution. One of those being The Law, probably his most famous work. But one that I really enjoyed was called What is Money? Where he has a conversation with himself over the idea of money, what it is, what it represents, how it's used, so on and so forth, and economics and how it all plays out. And he demonstrates in that book how the creation of money from thin air leads to hyperinflation, such as we see in I think it's Zimbabwe right now, or as what happened in the Weimar Republic of Germany that actually brought Hitler into power. And the, the analogy that he uses is you, if you take a piece of pie, and the pie represents all of the goods in the world, and you cut that piece of pie into a certain number of pieces. Well, each piece is worth a certain value of money, right? So, so one of those pieces of pie, let's say you cut it into four pieces, one of those quarters of the pie is worth is $1. And you can take that piece of pie and you can go buy something. Well, we need more money for whatever reason. They decide to print more currency. I should stop using the word money because money and currency are not the same thing. So they started printing more currency and you cut the pie in half again. So you have eight pieces now. Now the pie didn't get any bigger, but each piece became worth less. And as you continue to print more money, that's kind of what you're doing. You're not increasing the size of the pie any. There's still the same amount of pie. You're just getting more and more pieces of the pie that you can then use to trade for whatever goods, but each piece, as you cut it down, becomes worth less and less and less. So hyperinflation, the, the growth of the national debts, is something that I've been kind of following for years, expecting a hyperinflationary event to occur where the value of the dollar is just going to drop to the floor. And that may be what we're seeing now. I'm not going to say it is, but that may be what we're seeing now. The, uh, the removal of coins from circulation. Why do you need coins if nothing costs part of a dollar? Because the, the coins are next to worthless anymore. But this could get to the point... In fact, I heard one of uh, the, the insider that I heard, the testimony from this insider who was talking about a plan to do this, said that the U.S. dollar would become worth nothing more than kindling for a fire before the end of the year. Is he right? I don't know. Is there a plan? Well, if there's a god, and he's got a plan, which I believe, his name is, uh, I call him Adonai, I call him Hashem, you can call him whatever you like, the god of the Bible, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of Yeshua. So there's a God. And this God tells us in his book that there is an adversary. There is someone who is pitted against him. Well, guess what? This adversary, he's not just a force. It's not like Star Wars, where there's just a force that people can use. It's an actual adversary with its own intelligence fighting against the people of God. 
and God having his own intelligence, his own character, his own unique qualities and attributes. If I was this enemy playing a game for thousands of years, I'll call it a game, you know, just for the sake of easing communication, playing a game for thousands of years against an opponent, I would have a plan. I would have a strategy. You would too, if you were opposing someone in any game, in any contest, competition. You have a plan, you have a strategy. Without it, you can't win. Which means that there's time setting up the strategy, getting the pieces in place, and then comes the moment when you begin to execute your plan. It's just all philosophical, it's theoretical. That's kind of how I see the world. You may see it differently. Regardless, there is an enemy, according to the Bible. There is an adversary, according to Scripture. And that adversary is pitted against the people of God. And that adversary has a plan. A plan to wipe out the people of God. A plan that we read of in the prophetic books. But you know what? Prophetic books also give us the keys to overcoming the plans of the enemy. And those keys, they come up in several different ways. First of all, there's the key of redemption. Joining yourself to the right side. Redemption, salvation. In many ways, I kind of see that as a immigration plan. You are outside of the kingdom of God. But there's an immigration plan for you to get into the kingdom of God. The blood of Yeshua, repentance from sins, baptism, receiving of the Holy Spirit. You're in the kingdom of God. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. That citizenship cannot be revoked except for in the case of blatant disregard of the laws of the kingdom. It's just my own personal view. If you disagree... Fantastic. Love to have a conversation with you. And I doubt we'll even agree at the end of it. I just enjoy debate and conversation and the exchange of ideas. So you're in the kingdom. That's one of the keys to overcoming. Because the kingdom of God is going to win this battle. It's going to win this war. It's going to win this game. Whatever metaphor you want to use to describe what is happening. Second key to overcoming it's something that's found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. Let me pull it up here real quick. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. So Revelation chapter 12, it begins with the sign in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's in pain, she's pregnant, she gives birth to a son. The sun is snatched away, but the, uh, the dragon, in his anger, then pursues the children of the son that the woman had. My personal view on this is that the children of the woman, the children that were left behind, they're us. They're the church in the uh, Acts sense of the word, the body of the Messiah here on this planet. And so we have been persecuted by the dragon for centuries, for millennia. In verse 11, we're given the key to overcome, to overcoming the dragon. How did they overcome? 
They overcame because of the blood of the Lamb, meaning they were included in the kingdom of God. The blood of the Lamb is that green card, so to speak, that gets you into the kingdom, that makes you a citizen of Israel, that binds you to the God of Israel. And because of their witness. So the story of the changed life, that is one of our most powerful tools that we have, is our witness. The story of I was one way, and then I was another. The thing that happened in the middle was him. That's a line from uh, The Chosen TV series, an excellent series in my opinion. It doesn't get everything right, but I, I enjoyed it. It was made the disciples, and it made Yeshua very, very human. But that testimony is a powerful thing. Many of you would be shocked to know my testimony. The things that I have done, the things that have, have happened to me, the past history, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. I guarantee you that. There was a lot of heartache, pain, even terror, and some, some rather disturbing things. I did tell my testimony at one point, at least a part of it, to a gathering, and I was asked to not tell it again because it was disturbing to people. Take that as you will. So the word of the testimony is something that has power to change lives. Because a testimony is a story of redemption. It reveals the power of God to change people and to make us truly new creation. And the third key to overcoming, they didn't love their lives to death. Now, what does that mean? They didn't love their lives to death. So when I read this in uh, Revelation chapter 11, it reminds me of something that Yeshua said to his disciples. And we read of it in Luke 17, 33. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. And when it comes to the philosophy of seek life, of seeking life in every situation, how does that make any sense? How does it make any sense that seeking to save your life will cause you to lose it, but losing your life will allow you to preserve it? And in another place, in Matthew, I think it is, in Matthew 16, 25, it says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses their life for the sake of Yeshua, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of the kingdom of God, they will find their life, a true life. And that's one of the keys to their Shai, as I've gone through this entire thing and really thought about this whole idea of their Shai and seeking life. Because their Shai is not about saving your skin. It's not about having as much time as you possibly can on this earth. It's not about living to the end of your days in comfort and peace with a fat belly and no, no toil or no troubles throughout your life. Life is the thing that the people of God, the people who are covered in the blood of Yeshua, find after their flesh passes away. Life is found in the new creation. That's where life is found. It's not found in preserving my life. It's not found in defending my life from others. It's about doing what God requires of you. And if you die, well, you die. 
So what? If tragedy is accomplished around you, it is only a temporary tragedy. It hurts. It is painful. But on the other side of it is life. So if what these warnings are saying is true, and I am going to stress the if, if what they say is true, how do we seek life in the midst of it? We do what Yeshua says at the end of John. We go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the gospel of the kingdom. Because the gospel is what Yeshua told the 70 when he sent them out. He told them to preach the gospel as they went. He hadn't died. He hadn't been resurrected at that point, And yet they were still preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? The kingdom of God is coming to this earth. Life is being brought to what is dead. That's the gospel. The kingdom of God is breaking forth. And you can be part of it. That's the gospel. And how do you convince people what's our greatest weapon to reach people with the gospel? It's not the intellectual exercises that we go through in trying to understand scripture. That's for something that occurs after people have entered into the kingdom. Those intellectual exercises, though, they're only intellectual. They don't reach the heart. But stories touch the heart. Narratives touch the heart, especially when it's something that has happened to you. When it's your own pasts, your own hurts, your own heartaches that have been overturned. When you can show someone, I was this way, but now I'm this way. And the thing that happened make that change was Yeshua. That's our greatest weapon in getting people into the kingdom. And that's going to be our greatest charge as we enter into these times of trial and struggle. Because the olive press is coming for the people of God. We are going to be pressed, crushed, and persecuted. We are going to be led away into some of the most horrible circumstances imaginable. If the curses of Leviticus 26 mean anything to you, it's going to be a horror show. And we're going to be on the receiving end. And if that's the case, if this life, if this flesh is your end, if this is your hope, you will lose hope. But if your hope is in Yeshua, if your hope is in new creation, if your hope is in the kingdom to come, then it doesn't matter what they do to this flesh. It doesn't matter how much pain you have to go through, how much hunger you have to go through, how much loss you have to go through, how much discomfort you have to experience. It doesn't matter. Because your hope is not found in being comfortable now. Your hope is not found in being free from pain now. Your hope isn't found in being healed now. Your hope isn't found in having everything you want now, whether that be a car or a, a house or whatever. That's not where our hope is found. 
And if your hope is in those things, you're going to lose it. And you're going to lose yourself. But if you put your hope in him, you're going to find it. Because that's where life is found. It is not found in our flesh. It is not found in these bones. It is not found in this experience that we call life right now. Our hope is in Him. We have to allow our hope to be Him. We have to purposefully make and decide every moment of the day that our hope is in Him. It is not in being free from struggle. It is not in saving our skin. Because this olive press that's coming will cause many to fall away. The hardship, the heartache, many of those who follow the gospel out of a sense of prosperity that God owes you some sort of good things because you're his. You'll fall away when the press comes. Just the sight of what's coming will call you, cause you to fall away. When you actually enter into it, people will fall away by the droves. But finding life requires steadfastness. requires firmness. It requires the press to work in your life. So that only the purest of oil is revealed. It requires your vessel, as Jeremiah puts it, your vessel to be broken by the potter. And then reformed into something new, something beautiful. It won't be easy. God never promised us ease. He did promise us persecution. He did promise us trial. We've grown fat in the West, but it appears as though it's upon us. All we can do to prepare, the best we can do to prepare, is to get right with God, to let go of all of these trappings that you call life and to listen for his voice where will he have you go what cause will he engage you in where will you be the most effective in growing his kingdom because we are kings and priests we are ambassadors of that kingdom it's our job to draw people into it, to reach out that helping hand, to provide that comfort when we don't feel it ourselves to people who are hurting and lost and in pain. And in this, we'll find life, regardless of what comes. I know this has been kind of down. I know this has been kind of sobering. I know that this has been... Uh, very different from what I've done in the past. Next week, I don't know what we'll do. 
we may get back to the uh, the the tour cycle because there is some amazing things of great importance within the tour cycle still. But I can't promise how long I'll, I can keep these weekly episodes up because this time right now is a time of separation. It's a time of revealing what is hidden in the hearts of men. And that's what the press is for. To reveal what you're made of. What are you made of? Are you made of flesh and bone? Or are you made of the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of God won't break. The Spirit of God will remain true to the end. Flesh and bone, or spirit other than from God, it'll give up. It'll surrender. It'll give in. It'll take the mark. It'll point out friends. It'll destroy relationships. What are you made of? Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Darius Kai. If you would like to find out more or support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. The music was provided by the Exodus Road Band. Check them out on iTunes or ExodusRoadBand.com. We'll see you again next time as we Darius Kai, as we seek life. Shalom.